And to share with you that uh, chapter one really is all about the matter of being an encouragement. And Paul is trying to encourage God's people. And today we are going to pick up, we introduce the first couple of verses, and uh, we're going to pick up at where he gets into encouraging God's people. And I hope you will uh, find today just a wonderfully encouraging uh, message from God's Word. The Bible tells us this, starting in verse, well, I'll tell you what, we'll read the whole chapter, and it'll be all right. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, follow along with me. Paul and Salvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer." seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power." when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we need your understanding today. We need your help. And I pray that we would be encouraged this morning from the Word of God. Uh, I pray that if there be any here that are not part of the family of God, that they would understand that Christ died for their sins and become part of His family. I pray for those who know you, that today they would find encouragement in this portion of Scripture. Please give us understanding. We need your Spirit to empower the Word as it goes forth to give us uh, the, the grace to understand and grasp truth and respond to it as we need. And may we find today what we need from your Word. I need your wisdom, and I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, there was a young man who was the son of a star baseball player. And he, as was expected by many, was drafted because he was a good ball player and because he had, you know, good genes, as they, as they sometimes will say when they talk about a young man who is the son of a famous player or sports person. As hard as he tried, though, his first season was disappointing. And in fact, uh, he would have called it a failure. And... By the way, by mid-season, he was expecting to be released. That's how bad his year was going. Um, he expected any day the manager to come in and say, "Up, oh, you're done. And, and what's strange about it is that uh, he and the coaches were all bewildered. 
uh, by his failure. He possessed all that you would think, uh, all the characteristics of a, of a, of a great athlete. Uh, but for some reason, he couldn't seem to, you know, put it all together. He seemed to have become disconnected from his potential, which is not unusual, and sometimes players struggle with that. Well, his future seemed darkest one day. He had already struck out his first time at bat. He stepped to the batter's box again, and he quickly ran up two strikes. Well, the catcher, for some reason, called a timeout. He trotted out to the pitcher's mound for a conference. Great conferences. Never know what goes on in those things. Always wonder what's happening, don't you? Oh, wait. You don't watch baseball. All right. But I do every once in a while, and you wonder what's going on in those things. But while he did, he stepped out of the batter's box, and the umpire, standing behind the plate, spoke casually to him. Nothing was heard by anyone, but play resumed, and the next pitch was thrown, and the guy knocked it out of the ballpark. And that was the turning point. From then on, he began to play to his potential. He had new confidence. It seemed like he had great power that had just uh, eluded him for a long while, at least for that, that season. He quickly drew the attention of the parent, parent team, and he was eventually or very soon called up to the majors. On the day he was leaving for the city, uh, one, of the, one of the coaches pulled him aside. He says, look, I, it was just remarkable what happened to you and how things just clicked, how they turned around. And so he said, uh, what happened? I mean, it looked really bad. We had even talked about dismissing you and, and, and things. What, what turned around? And uh, the young man looked at the coach and he said, uh, it was the encouraging remark the umpire made the day when my career was uh, doomed. At least I thought it was doomed. He told me I reminded him of all the times he had stood behind my dad in the batter's box. He said I was holding the bat just the way my dad held it. And he told me, I can see his genes in you. You have your father's arms. He said, you know, that stuck with me. After that, whenever I swung the bat, I just imagined I was using dad's arms instead of my own. And it made all the difference in the world. That young man needed some encouragement. And he got it, unbelievably, from an umpire. Umpires don't encourage anyone. But he did, and it worked. You know, sometimes people just need a little bit of encouragement to make it through difficult times in life. You know, that's true in what we would call the secular world. This young man needed some encouragement, but quite honestly, Christians also need encouragement at times. And so it's always helpful when we're able to come to the Word of God to find in the Word of God encouraging truths. And by the way, this morning, if we wanted to preach messages on encouragement, we could turn to a multitude of passages in Scripture that give us encouragement. But what I love about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that Paul isn't writing and saying, these things I'm telling you about encouragement, or I want to encourage your hearts. He's just doing it. And he's doing it by writing to these people about what they are facing and then sharing with them the answers and the hope that they have in the midst of this difficult day that they're in. And so he shares with us some wonderful truths. 
last week, as I said, we had an opportunity to introduce you uh, to Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, these three men who were writing and who were concerned about these believers that they might go on for God and they might serve God. Three men who had invested their lives to help this church get started in the first place, and now we're investing in this church to help it grow and move along for the glory of God. Paul was hoping to visit with them, as he did many times in many different churches. But here in this first chapter, he just takes time to talk about the things going on in life and and maybe do what the umpire did that day with that young man. Just be an encouragement to these people going through hard times. I told you that there were, there were some 10 things that I had listed. You might even find more in this chapter. I want to encourage you this week to read through these 12 verses and look at it and think and find the encouragement that Paul gives. But today, we're going to have opportunity to introduce a few more to you. We gave you two last week, two that actually came from the first two verses, even though he wasn't necessarily in the encouragement section or in the encouragement mode. He was just introducing it. He shared two things that should encourage the heart of any believer. First is your position. Remember, they all start with the letter P, all right? Your position in Jesus Christ. Notice at the end of verse 1, he said that they were in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could say, God is my Father, first of all, which is a wonderful truth. And by the way, let me just say this before, before we go on. If you're not part of the family of God, these things will not be an encouragement to you. And I don't mean that to be mean. But in reality, the things that Paul's going to share that it would encourage this church are things that can encourage anyone who's part of the family of God. Anyone who can say, I am in the Father. I am part of the family of God. God is my Father. I know Him. I have a relationship with Him. And that only begins by faith in Jesus Christ. It only begins when someone comes to the realization, hey, I wasn't born as part of the family of God. I was born as a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only was I born a sinner, but I was born because I was a sinner and because I was born as a sinner and because I had a sin nature, I was born uh, facing God's judgment and wrath. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If someone's going to understand and appreciate chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, it's only going to come as, he's come to, as he comes to the place where I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I deserve God's judgment. I can't do anything to save myself. But then I realize that God has a gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God sent his only begotten son into this world to come and pay for the sins of the world so that all men can become part of the family of God not by their works, not by their efforts, not by the things that they do, not by their goodness, not by anything that they could ever accomplish, but they are saved by grace. That's unmerited favor, undeserved, that God would say, I am offering you a gift of eternal life if you'll accept it, and you accept it by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how simple Paul made it to the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Nothing more to it, nothing more you can do about it. The only thing you can do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that really is foundational, and that was an encouragement to this church to know, hey, look, I'm in God, I'm in the Father, and I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am kept by Him. What a wonderful truth. 
And the second thing we learned in verse 2 was that we had the promise uh, or the promises of God, the promise of peace, the promise of grace. This was all his greeting to this church, but in his greeting, he was saying, this is what I want you to experience, and this is what I desire for you, and the truth is they could expect it because God promises both grace and peace to those who are his. But today, we have opportunity to pick up now, and I want you to see the third thing, the third matter of encouragement, the encouragement of praise. Look, if you would, in verses 3 and 4 once again. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure." Now, he, they were facing persecution. They were facing tribulation. They had pressure. They had problems. They had difficulties, as, by the way, Christians do. God doesn't remove problems from our lives. These people were going through a great time of testing. And so what was going to encourage their heart? I'll tell you what, it's just being reminded that, uh, that uh, or being praised for their faithfulness to God. Look at what he did there in verses 3 and 4. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you. Now, uh, praise does encourage people, doesn't it? But let me tell you something. There, there, we live in a day today where everyone is praised for everything. Do you, do you notice that? I mean, praise is given for, for nothing. And sometimes people are praised and act like they're like some wonderful hero when they've really done very little at all. And I understand that sometimes we might want to swing to the other side, you know, and just not give praise at all because it seems like praise is given for everything and, and people have accomplished nothing, but they're praised anyway. But notice what Paul said about the matter of praise. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. And do you see the next phrase there? as it is meet. Do you know praise is an appropriate thing? There are times when people should be praised for their efforts, and it's not wrong. It's not a sin to recognize when someone does something good. It's not wrong for a Christian to encourage another Christian by saying, I appreciate your testimony. Hey, I've been observing some things in your life, and you have been a real blessing to me through the difficulty I know you've been facing and we've been praying about because you've lived for God and you've been a testimony. There is nothing wrong with appropriate praise. And that's what takes place in, this, in these verses, in verses 3 and 4. And there's a couple things that are interesting. Actually, three things I wanted to bring out about these verses. First is that he praised God. Do you notice that? Praise for God working. Notice, we are bound to thank God always for you. So he comes to the church and he says, hey, I want you to know something. We are praising. We are not just praising you, but we are praising God. You say, why are you praising God? Why have you been taking time thanking God for what he's done? Because God has been doing something in their lives. And it is very, very interesting to me, but as I was reading through this, I thought I'd just talk about the matter of praise and we'd go on. But the truth of the matter is there's some things he brings out that are really interesting. First, he says, we are bound to thank God. That word stood out to me. You ever read something, you just read through, and then you go on, you forget, you know, it's like 
big deal. But I asked myself the question as I, as I read that, I, why would he say we're bound to give thanks to God and what does that mean? Do you know, do you know what it means? He owed it to God. He considered a debt to God to thank God for this church. You say, why would he consider it his obligation to thank God for the church and what had been going on in their lives? Because everything that had happened and everything that had been going on was what God had done in and through them. See, Paul couldn't say, I'm just rejoicing myself at all the work that I've done. No, he says, I'm praising God. The reason I'm praising God is because God has been doing an amazing thing in your life through the trials and persecutions and the problems and the things you endure because God has given you those problems, because God has grown you through those problems, because God has done an amazing work. And I consider it an obligation as a Christian to thank God for the persecution and trouble you're facing and for what he has been doing in and through it. By the way, um, Paul was thanking God, I understand, but you know, it's a wonderful thing when a Christian can also thank God for what he's been doing even through trouble. It's not easy to do, is it? It's kind of a sideline. It's not easy for us to say, God, thank you for this problem. But that was what Paul was doing in verses three and four. Thank you, Lord, for what you brought into their lives. Thank you for what you've done through it. Thank you for using me to help these people grow. Thank you, Father, for being such a great God to work all these things together for good because that's the kind of God you are. And so praise for God working in life is an important thing. And may we learn to, may we learn to praise God for the times of testing. May we as well just learn and understand that God is working something in all our problems and God always, always is worthy of praise. But there's a second thing. It's not just praise for God working. It's praise for good that was observed. Look, he looked at their life and look at verse four. He says, so we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He wasn't saying, you people are wonderful but he was saying, you're wonderful. He wasn't saying, I'm praising you now. But that's what he, exactly what he, what he was doing. By writing verses three and four, Paul was saying, I just want you to know you're worthy of praise. You've been living right. You've been doing right. And this goes to the point that people need to hear it. Look, what... Can I encourage you to encourage others? Seriously. As a Christian, when you see another Christian who has handled a situation in a way that pleases God, to give praise for that is right. And it's important. This church obviously needed to hear that they had been doing that which is right. Do you ever need to hear that? Come on, have you ever gotten discouraged in your Christian life? Kind of like, well, no one ever notices. No, you never have. You're just, you just always live above your circumstances. You don't have any problems. Okay, so it, there, the three of you that are that way, 
then I'm not talking to you right now, but every other Christian who sometimes has been discouraged because they seem to be doing right and they're living right and no one seems to notice and no one seems to recognize, all right? Just remember this. If no one has noticed you, then maybe you haven't noticed others. And could it be that God would use you to be an encouragement to someone by just saying a word of praise when you observe that they're living for God? Because people need to hear it. The encouragement of praise. God first should be praised. We should learn to praise him in our difficulty and struggle. Others should praise God as well for what he is doing in and through struggle in your life. But then, as well, we ought to praise people appropriately. Someone said this, when someone does something good, applaud. You'll make two people happy. And, you know, in reality, there is, there's something about praise that blesses those who give it and blesses those who receive it. And may we be people who just learn to give praise. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? That's what Proverbs 15, 23 reminds us. Uh, now, I know people throw praise for anything and everything today, but there is an appropriate time to just say, hey, I want you to know, uh, I am so thankful for your testimony, for your faithfulness. And then there's something else. Notice the third thing about praise he praised him for godly example. Look at verse 4. He doesn't say we're praising you. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you, where? In the churches of God, for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul traveled all over. As Paul traveled all over and he went to different churches, you know what one of the things that Paul was doing? He'd tell those churches about the churches in Thessalonica which, by the way, was an encouragement to those churches to go on. You know why? Because he could say, the churches at Thessalonica, man, you wouldn't believe the persecution that they're facing. You wouldn't believe the problems that they are enduring, and yet their faith is growing, and I just want you to know that. And Paul could use their lives as a testimony and their actions as a testimony of God's grace and of what God had been doing to encourage other believers as well. So understand this. Although you may not understand all that God may be doing in your life, you could still even thank God for your difficulty and praise God for your difficulty, knowing this, that God will use your life to be an example to others if you'll just keep on and be faithful for the glory of God. And so there were three aspects to this praise. The people themselves were praised, God was praised, and then others were told of what God, was, God had been doing, and he praised, if you would, uh, the, the church at Thessalonica itself before other people so that their godly example might encourage others to do that which was right. You know, you know sister, we're really good at rebuking people when their example is bad. Do you know what I mean by that? It's really easy, isn't it? Uh, to, to go and tell people when they're not doing right. Because I don't know, somehow we always notice when they're not doing right. And then it's always good and it's always easy to, to, to get on it. Uh, there was a young lady who hadn't been walking with God as she ought. 
Some things had changed in her life, and those changes had been observed by another Christian. And actually, it was a little bit offensive to this other believer because uh, this person had lived for God for a long time and didn't seem to be living for God as much anymore. So the fellow believer went to the Christian who wasn't walking uprightly and rebuked her for the things she was doing, which were having a negative impact on other believers. Now, um, I'm going to submit to you that what was done wasn't necessarily wrong. Galatians 6.1 does tell us that if a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest ye also be tempted. God does indeed give believers the opportunity and the responsibility at times to go to a believer and say, you're not doing right. But let me ask you something. Wouldn't it be far better if we had Christians going around telling people what they were doing that was right? And don't you think that maybe had that Christian young lady a year before been encouraged by the things she was doing because someone came and said, I appreciate the way you're acting. I appreciate the things that you're doing in the Christian life that maybe she would have never gone the direction she did and needed the rebuke that she got. You know, sometimes... We work only on a negative basis in Christianity. Independent, fundamental Baptist preachers are real good at this. We want to make people feel bad, but the truth of the matter is sometimes people need to be encouraged. And they need to know that their testimony is right. And they need to do, know that they're doing the right thing. And I dare say there have been some Christians that have probably quit because no one ever told them. Your life has been a testimony to me. I was able to use your testimony to share with someone else what God has been doing and I've observed in your life and it's been a wonderful testimony. I just wanted you to know that. Hey, let's start every once in a while noticing the good in others. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what Paul did here. He, he could have, he, you know, Paul could have gone around to every church and preached about the Corinthians and how carnal they were. But when he went around, who was he preaching about? The church at Thessalonica and how godly they were. What a testimony. The matter of praise. Praise can be an encouragement. It can encourage fellow believers to live for God. That's what we find in verse 4. It uh, certainly, God is deserving of it because he's doing work in and through everything. And then people just need to hear that they're doing the things that are right. Encouragement of praise. The encouragement of progress. Look in verse 3. Once again, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceeding, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Notice some of the things that were happening in their life. Uh, they were moving along in their Christian life. Uh, others aren't just encouraged by your example. A growing faith is going to help you to do that which is right. In fact, that's the first thing we see in verse 3. They had a growing faith. Trials will either make you bitter or better. Have you ever heard someone say that? If you say you haven't, you haven't been here long because you've heard me say it a number of times. I've heard it said by many preachers before, and it's true. It's a right idea. 
Trials have a way of driving you away from God or drawing you to God. Now, God always has a purpose in trials. You know what his purpose is? To draw you to him. It's never to push you away from him. But sadly, sometimes people make the choice to go the wrong direction. This church made the right choice. Hey, I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't know why these things are happening. I'm a Christian, and I got all this trouble. I mean, before I was saved, I didn't have any problems. That's what this church could say. But it was in great affliction that they received the word. They got saved in affliction, and then they, got sa- they faced affliction because they got saved. I mean, this happened immediately after, their, their, uh, Christian, after they got saved, or actually during the time they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then right after. And yet, you know what it did? Rather than drive them away from God, and rather than saying, forget this, this Christian life isn't easy stuff. I thought it was going to be a nice, easy time. They went on for God. They grew. Their faith was strengthened. Uh, They had to be like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Every time you face a trial, you've got to make a decision, you know. Am I going to live for God in this? Am I going to go my own way? My way or God's way? Have we heard that recently in the book of Proverbs chapter 4? My way or God's way? There's God's wisdom, there's my wisdom, and I have to make a choice every time in my difficulty. You know what's wonderful about this church? Their choice was, I'm going to grow. They didn't say, I'm going to grow my faith. (laughs) They just said, we're going to serve God. And in serving God, their faith grew. And notice what it says about their faith. Their faith groweth. Do Do you see what the word is there? Exceedingly. Say, that's not impressive to me. You know what's impressive to me? It's the only time it's found in the Bible, this word. And it means to increase above an ordinary degree. And and here's what it reminds us of, is that when problems come my way, problems have a great ability to stretch my faith. Am I going to trust God now? Am I going to still do what God wants me to do in spite of this problem? Am I going to keep living for God? I know what the Bible says. Am I going to do it? Trials just have a way of stretching my faith that it would not be stretched without. And it has a way of stretching my faith in, in, uh, in, uh, if you say, to, to great lengths far more than anything else could do. Your faith, friends, can blossom in trouble or die. And the question is, what decision will you make? For this church, one of the wonderful things that encouraged them was that their faith was growing and flourishing. And as a result, listen, they kept on. Um, What a testimony. We've had some wake-up calls as far as Christianity is concerned over the past year. I'm going to just share an observation, all right? 
Um, whether it's a full-out attack on standing against wickedness like homosexuality or a government seeking to control churches through a virus called COVID-19, we're being challenged. You know, the challenge isn't near like it was for the church at Thessalonica because their lives were on the line. I am very grateful I live in a country where I'm not worried about being put in prison for my faith. But I'll tell you something, it wouldn't surprise me if that day is coming. Um, Any government that seeks to control and any people that can riot freely and be praised for it, any, any, uh, look, It wouldn't surprise me what happens in the days ahead as far as Christianity is concerned. Because when Christians stand up and say homosexuality is sinful and wrong, because it is, and God says so, and it always will be, no matter what the world thinks, the world isn't going to like it. That's not popular. That's hate speech, you know. That's not politically correct. It's biblically correct. It's not politically correct. And there may very well come a day when, as a Christian, if you make a statement that homosexuality is sinful, you may face imprisonment, trial. We don't know what's going to come. But there's something that I've observed with the things that have happened even over the last year in, in many situations, is that a lot of times when situations come up, we pray and we say we need to pray. It's funny how we're always made aware of the fact that we need to pray, right? And by the way, prayer came in this. We'll talk about that later on. But we say, well, we got to pray. We got to pray about this. So how do we pray? God, take away the virus. God, uh, take away these people who think these ridiculous things. God, remove the problem. And I'm not suggesting it's sinful to ask God if he wants to have mercy to do that. But maybe, maybe our prayer ought to be, God, strengthen my faith. Maybe we're praying for the wrong thing. Maybe we're asking God to remove the difficulty then we're asking God to strengthen us through it. Maybe we need COVID-19 for a revival in this country. And if that's the case, then let it rage. Not because I want it. Not because... I look forward to it and I relish it and I think this is a great thing. But because because God sometimes through the difficult days strengthens our faith in ways that would never happen without it. So maybe, just maybe, I need to start praying differently. Maybe, along with the Lord, 
it'd be a great thing if this would go away. You could do that. Easy enough. It'd be a great thing if no one ever faces it in our church. It would be a wonderful thing, Lord God, if those who are supportive of the homosexual, homosexual cause and those things, that, that you would do something about that. It would be great if we didn't have these problems in government and all these authorities talking about doing bizarre things that are ridiculous. Maybe, but maybe we should be praying, God, strengthen my faith in this. And let me resolve to live for you and do what's right no matter what happens. So that if these people remain in office and they make laws that make it a crime to say homosexuality is sin, and so be it. I'm going to serve God no matter what. Look, this church had their faith stretched through their problems. We don't ask for those things. We don't want those things necessarily, but they're good if they help us grow. And so he just was thankful for progress. And I want you to know that you ought to be encouraged when you see growth in your faith. And when you come to the place where you say, Lord God, whatever it is, I'm just going to serve you no matter what happens. Got, got a problem with my relatives. I've been, been praying that we'd be able to resolve our differences. I, I, that's a good thing to pray for. Nothing sinful in praying for a resolution of different differences. But you can also pray that you would be, that, that God would strengthen you to be resolved to keep treating them with love and following Romans 12 through your family difficulties. Does, does that make sense? Look, folks, progress in your Christian life is necessary. And so it's going to happen through difficulties. Their faith grew exceedingly. And then their love abounded toward one another. A preacher told this story. He said, I was in the supermarket one day. A lady came down the aisle. I could barely see her over the top of her groceries. And I got a little bit frightened because she was heading straight for me. And I thought, I got to get out of the way. Do I need to jump? What needs to happen? But she screeched to a halt within a few feet of me. She peered over her load of, of groceries. She wagged her finger and he said, I left your church. I left your church. Preacher said, well, if it's my church, I think that was wise of you to leave. In fact, if it's my church, I think I'll leave too. She said, don't you want to know why I left? He said, no, not particularly, but I think I'm going to find out anyway. And quite honestly, I was right. Uh, she said, you weren't meeting my needs. He answered, I don't recall seeing you before, let alone talking to you, let alone knowing your needs. Did you ever tell anyone specifically what your needs were? And she couldn't recall that she had. So he said, I raised another question. Can you tell me, if we have 5,000 people sitting in our church, all with your attitude, how is anyone's need ever going to be met? 
ma'am, if, if you reserve the right to have that attitude, you must give everybody the freedom to have that attitude. And if everybody has that attitude, who on earth is going to do all the need meeting? But she stood her ground, and she demanded, then you tell me who will? Relieved, I said, I thought you'd never ask. This is what will work. When people stop sitting in the pew saying they're not meeting my needs and start saying, whose needs can I meet? Then needs will be met. When the servant spirit flourishes in a congregation, they minister unto one another as unto the Lord. These people at the church at Thessalonica were an example because problems didn't drive them away from church. Private problems drove them to church so that they could get with God's people and they just loved one another through the whole difficulty. You know, Sometimes, sometimes, I got to say, sometimes it's just, it's just good to come to church and see God's people. I, I got to tell you, this, this whole, and COVID-19 is not, by the way, a trial at all on par with what's going on with the church at Thessalonica. But one of the, one of the great blessings was when we started meeting together again. I got to tell you that. It just was great to be with God's people. And, and these people not only were growing spiritually themselves, but they just were growing in love for one another because those are the only people that they could go to and find love from. Do you know what I'm, I'm noticing more and more? I, I'm finding less people that... that uh, um, when we came here 19 years ago, there were a lot of people that were in agreement, even if we weren't going to the same church, they were in agreement with the beliefs and practices I held in the South. I find a lot like that. Conservative people who are against immorality, they were against things that were wrong. No, they weren't perfect people. But a lot of people had understanding of, of truth here. A lot of people had at least a Bible basis for life. And I found a lot of people that are in agreement. You don't find any more and more people aren't. Where are you going to find? Where are you going to find love and fellowship and, and, and growth other than being with God's people? You know, one of the things about trials is it really does. It, it should drive you toward Christians, not away from them. Just for that encouragement that one another can bring, the encouragement of progress. They pro progressed in their faith. They progressed in their love for one another. Then they progressed in in, uh, in patience. Uh, in verse 4, we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Um, look, our, to, to, for their patience means to, it, the, it's a compound word. Man, I told you that so many times, right? It's a compound word in the Greek. Two words, stay under. They were staying up under the pressure. Look, 
we've got a lot of things going on in our in our country that uh, are are putting pressure on Christians. We've got a lot of things just going on in life. You know what God calls you to do? Just stay up under it. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Just bear up under it. And here's the thing. Uh, when you're bearing up under it, there's someone under it with you. Who will help you to bear up under it? That's what these Christians were doing. And that's why these Christians were praised. And God had been doing a marvelous work in and through them. There was an artist who went to visit a friend. When he arrived, this friend was weeping. She was crying. And he asked the reason why, and she showed him a handkerchief. It was a beautiful handkerchief that uh, she had been given by family. It held great sentimental value, and it was ruined because there was a, a drop of indelible ink that had fallen on it. And it just broke her heart because it was something very precious to her. The artist said, can I have the handkerchief uh, for a few days? I'll return it to you as soon as possible. And she agreed. And so he took it to his home, returned it to her by mail several days later. And when she opened the package, she couldn't believe her eyes. The artist had taken the inkblot as a base. He had drawn on the handkerchief a design of great beauty using India ink where it would stay in there. And this, what she thought was ruined handkerchief, was now a more beautiful thing that she could ever imagine. Now it was more beautiful, more valuable, and more precious than ever. Uh, look, sometimes the tragedies that break our hearts are, are God drawing on our handkerchief. A beautiful work, if we'll allow it. And that ought just encourage our heart today. Encouragement of progress. I'm going to tell you the last one that we're going to look at today, and you're going to love me for this one. The encouragement of persecution. You say, you are nuts. Look at verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. You might be saying, Pastor, you know, I've always questioned your sanity. I've questioned whether you were, you know, you had, I, I understand that. And you may think I'm going too far to think that trials could actually be an encouragement. But God does share with us in verses 5, 6, and 7 some amazing things that are actually very hard to understand. Some really struggle with the interpretation of these verses because there's two basic understandings and both are kind of hard to, hard to accept. But the first rests upon the idea that persecution is right and just. The encouragement of persecution. Now, um, we do know from other scriptures that Persecution should be and can be an encouragement if we think right about it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 and 29 continue that thought. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talked about the fact that he was under great pressure and everything else. And then he said at the end of chapter 4, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He saw something positive in his trials. When Paul, Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, he talked about the fact that the trying of their faith was a good thing. It indeed was that this trial and persecution that was coming their way, and it was a very heated persecution, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, that it was good. You see, trials aren't designed for discouragement or defeat, but for the building of your faith. We've already mentioned that once. But what does he bring out here in this passage? It's interesting, but trials were an indication of God's righteous judgment. Have you ever said, it's not fair? By the way, aren't, isn't that what everyone's crying today? It's not fair. You know, every time we got a problem, we, we really have, and, and, and Christians are no, no exception too. We've got a bunch of whiners today. You know, I want to tell people, just get over it, all right? You know, get a life. Let's move on, okay? Have things happened in the past? Our men that lived 200 years ago, did they make mistakes? Yes. Have you? Okay, then get over it. Was slavery wrong? Yes. But it happened. Get over it. You didn't know them anyway. Hundreds of years ago. And look at the freedom you have now because you can even talk about it and say it's wrong. So enjoy it. Grow up. Get over it. It's time to move on. Um, you know, we just have a, a bunch of people, and it's not fair, it's not right. It's like a, a teacher, you know, a teacher at school trying to establish control that first week, right? The kids are challenging our authority, and the battle's on, and the teacher decides to tie everyone together and says, if there's any more trouble in the class today, no recess. So what happens? Well, two of the kids act up. And then there's a decision the teacher has to make, Right? If she wavers, she's done. She's history. So she says, no recess. And what do all the other kids say? It's not fair. Um, have you ever thought, and this is one very proper interpretation of verse 5, and, and many believe it to be true, that it's just not fair that you're going to heaven. And there's people, maybe even your neighbors, that will spend eternity in hell. And some believe, and I think it's a very accurate interpretation of this passage, that God is saying, look, get over your troubles here. Yes, you're suffering now. Yes, it's difficult now, but get over it. The truth of the matter is you won't suffer in life to come. And that's not fair. Well, it is actually. And some believe verse 5 is actually saying that it's part of God's righteousness to say to believers, you're going to have a tough time now because you won't later. And those who are enjoying themselves now are going to have a tough time later. This is part of God's righteous judgment. 
And that is not an improper interpretation of the passage. Some don't like that because it sounds so wrong, but it's not. And the truth of the matter is there are a lot of Christians who cry, that's not fair, and they just need to get over it. I say, quite honestly, if we want to deal with fairness, we would all spend eternity in the lake of fire. But I don't have to worry about that as a believer. And if I suffer now, quite honestly, it's only right. That sounds cruel, doesn't it? It almost sounds harsh. But that is one of the points that he brings out in saying to these people, look, this is a manifest token. What's going on in your life is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. So you're going to enjoy the kingdom of God. These people are not. I am going to judge them. I am going to let you live for all eternity in heaven and rejoice and, 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 and just live in joy and peace and happiness. So stop complaining now. Um, so uh, Lightfoot, a, a, a very uh, scholarly gentleman, wrote this. He said, The law of compensation by which the sufferers of this world shall rest hereafter after and the persecutors of this world shall suffer hereafter is laid out before us. And so there is a sense in which I need to look at persecution and say, you know what? Seriously. It's only right that I have a tough time now. Because there's a day coming. Even so, come Lord Jesus. No wonder they were praying that way in the early church. And, and even... Today, we're still praying the same thing. Because no one likes to endure suffering. But persecution is part of God's plan. And it's part of the righteous judgment of God. And then notice what he says in verse 5 as well. Um, that trials count you worthy of his kingdom. Now, let's understand this. Trials never made anyone worthy of heaven. They don't. You never are worthy of heaven. No one will ever be worthy of heaven because, because we're all sinners. We've been saved by the sacrifice of the wonderful, precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed freely for us. But trials count us worthy of that place. They deem us, if you would. It's only right that I suffer for Christ, seeing that he suffered for me to forgive my sins. My actions in trouble don't make me fit, but they allow me the opportunity each and every day to say to God, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to suffer for all eternity. I'm willing to suffer now and live for you because you've done such a wonderful thing for me. And so, yes, persecution is something that should be an encouragement as a believer. Because it gives me an opportunity to tell God each and every day that I suffer for him. Thank you for sparing me from suffering to come.
by the way, aren't you glad about the fact that suffering to come is, is no longer a concern? And may we always keep that in mind. And understand then, you know, I've heard people say, why would God allow a Christian to suffer now? Why would God spare a Christian from all eternity of suffering? There's probably a greater question to ask. And yet we never ask that question, do we? So our passage gives us numerous reasons why Christians ought to be encouraged today in their difficulty. The encouragement of progress. If you'll move along and allow God to use it in your life. The encouragement of persecution. Yes, the encouragement of persecution is a, a good thing and, and it ought to be going on. And then uh, the encouragement of praise as we find in 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And next week we'll have opportunity, Lord willing, to look at the final things of in, the final lessons of encouragement we can find in this chapter for believers who are going through difficult days. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.